and welcome to Chapter and Verse, The Art of Selling Children's Books. My name is Charlotte Eyre and this podcast, which is designed to help you sell more children's books, is brought to you by Rocket and the Bookseller Magazine. Today's episode is all about moving into the world of children's books from adult publishing and my guest is the brilliant and hilarious Adam Kay. The former doctor, writer and comedian is the author of the best-selling This Is Going To Hurt, Secret Diaries of a Junior Doctor, which has sold in its millions and Twas the Night Shift Before Christmas. His first book for children, Kay's Anatomy, was published in autumn last year. Hello Adam and thank you for being on this podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Now, in a press release about your work in children's books, you said you had adored the first steps of your journey as a children's author. So let's talk about that journey. How did the deal to work with Puffin come about? Two things happened. One thing was Puffin, um, Holly Harris, who was, who was then working at Puffin and is now at uh, Simon & Schuster, got in touch to say, would I be interested in writing a, uh, a children's book? I previously, uh, I'd contributed to one of the Scarlet Curtis anthologies that she'd edited. So uh, the second thing that had happened is for about two years, I'd been thinking, hmm, I wonder if I should write a children's book. So I decided that that was fate. And the answer was uh, absolutely yes. And when you were thinking, should I write a children's book? Was it because you thought it would be really fun to write for kids? Or were you thinking this would be a great way to sort of broaden my output or a little bit of both? I don't really think in terms of my output I mostly think in terms of whether I'm going to enjoy a given project or be the right person to do that that project because I've been hugely lucky in the last couple of years that I've had a lot of things offered to me and the thing I liked about the idea of children's writing was that I wasn't, I'm no expert in, in, in children's books, obviously, but I wasn't really aware of anyone who was making medicine funny for kids. And no. there are lots of people who are making it fascinating for kids, but I just wondered if I could bring a, bring a sense of humour to it. And I guess in the way that I do with my adult books, which is tricking them into, mm-hmm. into reading something they might not have otherwise read by the promise of humour, if I could trick kids into learning about how their bodies work or, or, or don't work the, the same way. The thing that was holding me back was feeling totally unqualified for it, which is a bit of an encore of my adult writing in the in the first place. I sort of I sat on Picador's very generous offer to to publish me for a matter of months whilst I tried to do the maths in my head about am I actually good enough or the right person to, to, to be writing a, a book. And I, I, I definitely went through the same process. But the fact that someone independently came up to me, that was, uh, that was enough to convince me. Well, it is absolutely brilliant and really, really funny. And I really enjoyed the Guide to the Human Body because it was genuinely educational for me, as well as, you know, I think a child would find it. So again, why did you kind of go for that topic? And how did you structure your information to make it palatable for a, for a child? I think medicine made most sense for me to talk to kids about. It's it's the probably the thing I know the most about. It's one of the few topics where I can confidently say I know more about this than a nine year old. So I thought that 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 <laughs> probably that, that was that was probably the right direction in terms of of structuring it. I basically took the approach of a normal medical textbook that might be written for someone doing their A-levels or an undergraduate medical student and sort of mm. looking at the body and the way the way I divided it up. And I basically just 
put some jokes in it. <laughs> I wanted it to be thorough. And uh, luckily, people have been writing about the, how the human body works for about 3,000 years plus. Mm. So there was a bit of a, of a skeleton there already for me to have a go with. But there was, you do need structure for a book like that. It's actually a very big book. Mm. It's a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be when I, when I started, which was partly because... I ended up going into a bit more detail than perhaps I needed to. Okay. But kids have such an enormous appetite for knowledge and they're so amazing at absorbing facts. I thought, you know, why not push it a bit? Because, you know, if I'm mm. if I'm talking to my my nephews or my niece about space or dinosaurs or Minecraft or whatever it is. They know thousands and thousands and thousands of things. And it's, it's really extraordinary. So I wondered if I might be able to maybe do the same trick with medicine. Can you give us an example of something that you perhaps didn't think you would write about, but ended up in the book? Yeah, I mean, in terms of, you know, the, the, the depth of going into things, I spent quite a long time talking about, for example, neurodiversity and, yeah. you know, different people's brains, whether it's ADHD or autism or panic disorders or agoraphobia, whatever, whatever it is. It's a, it's a big, fat book full of many, many, many thousands of, of facts. When I started, I knew that I wanted to talk about things that go wrong with the body as well as things that go right with the body because yeah. I thought that's something that it's just it's important and I think it's often not talked about enough and there's no the thing that slightly put me off to be totally honest is there's no funny way of talking about stuff that's that's sad or or, or difficult mm -hmm. but I thought that if I win my readers confidence a bit with the funny stuff they'll excuse yeah. the, the stuff that there's there's no way of and nor would I want to uh, make funny sure and I think as the book went on more and more of those crept in when I thought no actually I do need to talk to them about body image and I want to talk about drugs mm. and I need to talk about smoking and then that that side of things expanded quite a lot it's you know yeah. who whoever started writing a book in whatever genre for whatever reader that ended up being what they planned yes of course and you talk about death as well which I don't remember books about the human body talking about when I was a child and I yes I really appreciated that I think that was a, a good way to sort of round off the book as it were um, and you talk about IVF and asthma and th so the way that that was structured I thought was very clever because you say this is how lungs work but some people also have asthma and when asthma happens this is what happens which yeah like I say I thought was very good just strip away the you know the mystery or the taboo or the whatever I mean hopefully I've touched on most of the main things that my readers or their mates or their families might have and the more they know about it the less they'll be scared about it also oh, I'm, I'm making it sound so far like I did this did this on my own we had this enormous panel of brilliant experts to make sure that I was getting it right not just you know doctors to you know to, to double check the, the, the facts that I'd potentially half forgotten since medical school but more <laughs> importantly people from the world of uh, education looking at both the curriculum and sort of appropriateness of, you know, and the depth I go into stuff like reproduction mm -hmm. and topics like death and, you know, helping me with the best possible ways to, to frame and phrase the, the trickier stuff that, um, that I ended up talking about. And then speaking to numerous 
charities to make sure that I'm using the, it, it was called a sensitivity check. That seemed mm-hmm. to be the, the term that was used by the publisher. And it was hopefully that making sure that I'm using the language that the people who live with these conditions like to, to hear and like to see propagated. Yeah, I know. I think people outside of the book world don't realise how much fact checking and how many readers are involved when it comes to children's nonfiction. And obviously, like you say, you have to balance the serious and the funny. Did any of your editors or any of these readers come back and say, no, look, the tone here is wrong. You're making this funny when it shouldn't be or vice versa? It was generally more in terms of this is a little bit old for the reader. Okay. In terms of we don't need to go into, you know, I, we wouldn't frame it like this. It's best to look at this age. It's best to look at it like like that. In terms of the, the humour, I, I don't think I really found myself taking jokes out. I don't think I found myself making jokes about that stuff in the in the first place. Generally, the chapters are sort of top loaded, front loaded rather in their in their jokes. You know, it's very easy to make jokes about how the body works. It's, it's that much harder to, to joke about. Uh, why it goes wrong yeah fair enough so let's talk about your illustrator um because you know that I presumably was a bit of a, a new a new type of working with uh, for you because there was an illustrator involved did you have any sort of input over that about who the illustrator was I knew from the start that the book you know needed illustrations the whole thousand words picture ratio is never more true when you're doing a, a diagram about the heart valves yep and I knew it had to be funny. Mm-hmm. And um, Puffin said, I was like, you know, how does this work? And they're like, well, find an illustrator you like, and then we'll, I'll see them if they, see if they want to do it. Oh, amazing. So um, in the days uh, when you were freely allowed to wander around bookshops, yep. I went to the wonderful and much beloved uh, Waterstones in Piccadilly mm-hmm. and I must have spent half a day going around the shelves, picking out, you know, books. And then I I came home with a dozen or so. And I was just sort of trying to work out in my mind who my faves were. And I wrote a, got a short list of a, of a couple of people and I sent them off to Puffin. And then about a day after that, I was at a friend's birthday party. Mm-hmm. And I wound up talking to uh, Henry Packer, who's another comedian, and um, somehow in conversation, he mentioned that he'd been doing some drawing for something. I was like, oh, I didn't know you draw. And he sent me some of his illustrations. And I was like, oh, I think this is, I think this is, a, this was a very lucky conversation because he was just off the scale, inventive mm. and brilliant. And so um, I sent his name to Puffin, who were oh, okay, I've not come across him before because you know, he was, he's relatively relatively new to the game I and mean, he's a hugely successful writer and, uh, and comedian in, in, in comedy land and on panel shows and, and Radio 4 and all sorts, of, all sorts of that stuff, but not really in books. Mm-hmm. And then they looked up his stuff and were like, yeah, I think, I think we found it. And it was, it was great that I had a pre-existing relationship with my illustrator and it meant it was a very, very close and collaborative process yeah as much as I was feeding back on the illustrations he was feeding back on the writing to make sure that I hope we've achieved it because my dream was to make it look like it was all one thing Mm -hmm. this was a book by me and Henry not something that I'd written and subsequently someone had gone away and um and doodled in the margins yeah 
Well, I, yeah, I love the visual gags. I thought they were really, really clever. And like you say, they do work together so well. And in terms of sort of promoting your book, the timing hasn't been ideal for that because of the coronavirus situation. Um, and yet you were actually before you were discovered, well, you became a writer after an editor at Picador, a publisher at Picador saw you on stage. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, performing is a big part of your life. How have you managed to promote this book when you can't actually go and do any events with children? It was a word that's been used a lot this year, a challenge. Um, mm. I suspect that when um, this book was was signed on the dotted line, uh, however many months ago, we assumed that I'd be doing a big load of events. I love doing book events and certainly for my adult books, I'm still touring events from my, my first book. And mm. I, I will be, you know, back on stage with This Is Gonna Hurt as soon as the theatres reopen um, this summer. And I very much was thinking about how do I, you know, how do I do kids' events? What's, how, how's that going to be? And it turns out the answer is um, I sit in front of a, sit in front of a microphone <laughs> mm. in, in, in my front room. But um, what, it, what it's basically, what it's basically come down to is the, the huge efforts of the marketing PR departments at Puffin that the team there has been off the scale. And uh, I don't know quite how they, they managed to get so many spots for me to, to appear on TV shows and radio shows and podcasts and everything. But I'm hugely, hugely grateful to them for, for that because it's more than made up the slack that we lost in the, mm. uh, from not being able to do events. It's, I'm still very sad I've not been able to, to do events because you write books for readers, not for publishers and editors. You, you write it for readers. And I've always loved getting the, the immediate feedback that you get on stage. But um, we live in a digital age where it's not just possible for me to broadcast from my front room, but also to, to hear from readers. And, and the feedback we've had from, from kids who've uh, sent letters or sent emails or got their parents to tweet me sort of pictures of things they've made or written, that, that's, that's been incredible. But I am sad I've not been able to, to, to see them in person and, and, and thank them in person for their support do children as an audience respond differently to adults I mean one thing that I've heard authors say is that you know they have no mercy they just say what exactly on their minds and I was just right obviously you'll be performed to both audiences now and I've just wondered if you've seen any differences yeah I mean there's I, I totally agree that they don't they don't hold back and they're totally honest and that means that on the one hand if a kid tells you they thought your book was rubbish, then they meant it. But on the other hand, it means they meant it if they give your if they give your book twelve thousand stars out of ten. Has that actually happened? Because yep. that is amazing. Oh, that's yeah, lovely. That's, that's a, twelve thousand stars out of ten. That's a lot of stars. <laughs> that's never, adorable. Never get that from adult reviewers. <laughs> no, you won't see that in the Guardian um, review <laughs> pages, would you? Oh dear. Next up on the podcast, I wanted to speak to the lovely Simon Armstrong, who has worked on Adam's books, as well as with a whole range of fantastic authors and illustrators. He hopped onto a Zoom call to tell us about promoting and selling Kay's Anatomy. My name is Simon. I am publicity manager of Pegram Random House Children, with a focus on middle grade and YA. I worked on Adam Kay's debut children's book, Kay's Anatomy, in the middle grade space. And I also, in the YA space, work on memoir manifestos, for example, the one by Curve model Charlie Howard, that I won a Publicity Circle Award in 2019. Hi, Simon. Now, you actually worked on Adam's book. Tell me what you thought of it, first of all. Well, I think... As is always the case when you first read a book, you really want the content to deliver on what was an exceptional premise. And as 
the sales and the readers you prove I was absolutely delighted and I think the genius of it was that kind of going out there saying you know this is like you know horrible histories 2.0 this is horrible histories of the human body is an incredibly high mark to hit combined with the fact that a lot of the people we were promoting the book to aka the parents who loved Adam's first book and I don't think there's many adult non-fiction titles that's been more beloved in the last couple of years and this is going to hurt so you're having to deliver on an amazing concept and deliver on an amazing kind of history and you know I laughed I learned stuff that I really should have known and you know it was that thing of like wow actually we've got something pretty special here so it was a the best start to a campaign possible. And what did you pull out of the book or perhaps take from Adam's personality to put into the PR campaign? Kind of what is interesting about these campaigns is, you know, kind of like PR is this kind of interesting game of you cannot make people love books. You cannot trick people into loving a book. You can put it in front of them. You can get it into shops. You can make people aware of it. They can turn on the radio and people are talking about it. They go open a newspaper and they're reading about it. Their kid goes to school and the author's there. But Really, your job is to get the book out there and then let it take over. So we knew we had an amazing content. We knew we had an amazing idea and we had an author with profile. So our main concern was kind of like getting Adam out there just after um, he had done, obviously, the amazing Dear NHS anthology. So our main objective was to actually make sure we could replicate such a timely and kind of culturally relevant campaign. So um, I um, firstly kind of worked with um, Dusty Miller, who is his fabulous um, freelance publicist who did that campaign. And we worked together to kind of work out the places he hadn't previously gone to, ways we could repeat and then within that kind of making sure that we were kind of bringing that children's element you know for the sun for example we did an illustrated feature like a case surgery where we put the illustrations and the text at the forefront and Adam wrote a kind of bespoke introduction but we really wanted to make it about the book as much as about him for heart radio we had kids ask him questions so kind of find ways to make sure that this project and this kind of kid-focused publication remained at the heart of every interview he did. That's really interesting because yes you like you say we we would always assume oh it's such a gift to have somebody who's such a good showman and can speak so eloquently but your job is actually to make sure that the book comes first. Yes exactly. And you touched on this a little bit before but tell me a bit more about you know you you know that you've got adults who are going to be fans of Adam so they need to they're going to buy the book but obviously it's all about getting the book to the child isn't it? Exactly. Well, I think what was kind of interesting is obviously, you know, and it's something which I know you know in your job as well, that, you know, this kind of conversation around literacy, this kind of conversation around getting kids reading, you know, one thing the nonfiction market um, is brilliant at, in my view, and this goes way back when I worked at Walker and I worked on a book called Football School, which is now a series. And, you know, that is perfect for kind of that elusive, reluctant boy reader, which has been at the focus of so many kind of researches the LT have done, because these are people who, have either tried fictional narratives and not become absorbed in them or maybe started off reading very strongly at six, seven, but kind of got moved away as they got distracted by other kind of stuff. Kids are actually very literate. You know, these kids are probably reading more than anyone, any of us did, when, but they're reading online. They're reading in very dissectable small chunks. So non-fiction, especially the type of non-fiction that Adam wrote, which was incredibly kind of highly illustrated, every section was kind of its own paragraph. Case Anatomy, you could flip through to any page 
and find an interesting fact. There's no need to read it back to front. There's no need to read it all in one go. So nonfiction really serves that purpose of trying to get kids into reading. And obviously, Kay's Anatomy's publication kind of very much weaved in and out of um, the pandemic and homeschooling. So it was really about positioning this book as kind of not just a learning aid, but also as, you know, this is a book that your kid that maybe you, do, you can't read a story going to bed, so maybe they've not yet got involved in literacy. This could be their gateway into kind of a wider reading experience. And I think also what you touched on about Adam's adult readers, what we also kind of really tried to put up in the campaign is that Adam, in my view, like all great children's writers, his tone is the same. He treats the kid like his adult readers you know he's funny he's irreverent you know he, he's ironic and what works so well is we kind of built into the campaign through kind of imagery this idea of like you know this is a chance for you and your child to have a bedtime reading experience around a book which is maybe more based upon their current interests which maybe is more based around kind of a home learning environment or maybe it's a chance for you to have that kind of reading to your child experience that you've not yet had. So bearing in mind all those elements that we've touched upon, so you're thinking about reluctant readers, they're at home, you know, it's non-fiction, but it's also funny. Can you sort of give us examples of some of the partners you approached in your campaign and what worked? So one of the most interesting things we did was we did a survey based around if an adult took a biology test now, how would they do? The kind of thing of like, you can learn from this too. And also this is a way to kind of at a time where you're expected to be teacher, parent, guru, there is a resource out there can kind of help you with areas that you didn't maybe have the knowledge you did when you were 12, 13, 14, 15. And it was a kind of a nice way to show how the book fitted in to kind of the new world that we were living at the time. Now, um, I'm reluctant to call um, Adam a celebrity author because I, I don't think he was a celebrity before he became a writer. But people do like to think of him sometimes in that box because of his skills on stage and as being a comedian. I guess I would throw that back to you and say, would you class him as a celebrity author? And what advantages does his fame and ability to entertain give you as a PR expert? That is a really interesting question. I would not classify him as a celebrity author purely fresh today because obviously he is a pre-established author in his own right but I think you know when you dissect kind of like you know celebrity author influencer author kind of adult crossover author they're really just people that have a pre-existing audience that is invested in what they do what they're talking about and what they are producing or creating the dream when you kind of have these authors of profile is that they're delivering in a fresh way but in a way which is still relatable to them. The bigger the gap is between what that person represents to their fans and what they produced previously, that kind of diminishes your ability to galvanise their fandom because, as you know, when we're fans of people, we go to them for a reason and we want innovation but not kind of change. So I would say, because Adam's book was such a perfect transference of what people loved about his adult fiction into children's, that you could take that audience on quite an easy journey. So that was a very easy proposition for me and obviously with someone like Adam who is a probably one of the most charming charismatic people I've ever seen in the interview <laughs> he waltzed onto everything and you know balanced everything you know he's a dream so you have got 
a pre-existing audience, a product that appeals to them, an author that is a fantastic interviewer, and an author who has the profile. I, you know, I can have the best debut in the world. I can have somebody who's written the most amazing book you've ever written. I'm probably not going to get them on Zoe Ball. I'm probably not going to get them on the rain. And whilst I would genuinely say that those apparatuses do not make a book a success long term. They create sales spikes. You know, it is undeniable. You get someone on the one show, you're going to sell 2,000 copies in an hour. That is insanely impressive. But you have to have those people buy that book, love that book, and recommend that book to their friends. So I would always say authors of profile, celebrity authors, they gift you that first week sales spike. They gift you that profile. And obviously as well, as we kind of know, when it comes to selling books into supermarkets, Waterstones, you know, in terms of getting those numbers up. But I would say it is basically, it gives you a really good starting gun. But then, then after about a month, it is about that product taking over and taking on life of its own. And with Kay's Anatomy, in all the research we've done, that actually it was word of mouth to grandparents. It was grandparents discussing the book with each other, parents discussing the book with each other, which was actually a much more bigger drive. And we actually found that the media was penning it, and Adam, like a trooper, went right through to Christmas promoting it. But actually, after a certain point, that media has only lit the dynamite, and then the book has to set it off. Yeah, that's very understandable. Yeah, for sure. Now, final question. You are working with Adam on his next book. Yes. Tell us about what your promotional plans are for that and whether they are different from what you did with Kay's Anatomy. I must give a shout out again to the fantastic Dusty Miller who's working me on this. I was thinking it's very important for PRs to acknowledge when they're not the only one on the show. So I'm working very closely with him on that. It's an interesting question, actually, because that book was, and I will have to check this, it may be cut if it's wrong, was the biggest non-fiction children's, children's debut of the decade. So when you've done something and launched something that well, it is that kind of thing of like, if those core elements work, why innovate for the sake of innovation? But at the same time, you do have to put a longer term strategy. So for example, you know, we did do a donation with the NLT, you know, Adam got involved in World Book Day. We are going to kind of hopefully get him into the children's festivals this year, continue to work on outreach into schools. So I would say our short-term strategy will remain the same. It will be kind of making sure as we kind of harness Adam's profile and charisma to get those interviews around publication, to make sure we get those first week sales, those second week sales. But it is also about kind of separating the K brand Kay's Anatomy, Kay's Marvelous Medicine, the two books after that, where that kind of brand almost becomes a USP. And actually, people might not even connect as Adam eventually. And actually, that is a trusted, educational, funny brand in on itself. Thank you, Simon. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you so much. And I apologise for my incredibly long answers. <laughs> Let's talk about what's coming next. So you've got another book out in September, which is about medicine. Is that right? It is. So it's called Kay's Marvelous Medicine. Mm -hmm. So uh, sort of approaching a sort of slightly different lawsuit from the title uh, uh, this time around. And uh, it's about the history of medicine, how we got to where we are today, and most importantly, all of the horrendous mistakes that were made on the way here. And that's, um, I've always been hugely interested in the history of medicine and the mistakes we've made and the brilliant people 
who made the the discoveries and uh yeah it's been that's that's been absolutely great fun to to write that's now um been sent off i think it's been copy edited mm-hmm. at the moment i guess i'm only a few weeks away from hearing back about all the mistakes i've made oh i'm sure i'm sure there won't be too many that's very exciting and do you talk about the nhs in this book because you're quite a champion of the nhs it gets a mention mm-hmm. i have been trying to make my children's stuff quite global yeah by definition I have a very western bias to what I write and that's that's in there but in terms of you know making specific references to to this country there's there's not much of it in my in my children's writing but it is something that I do bang on about um an awful lot <laughs> as if we needed reminding mm. we've been firmly reminded this year that the NHS is surely our our greatest achievement as a civilized nation and we all owe our lives to them yes we do indeed I mean I wonder um, if children have really a sense of what the NHS is and how important it is I mean I'm so far removed from being eight years old now I mean is that something that you have a sense of that children value the NHS I do I mean children who grow up in this country grow up thinking that it is normal that you don't have to whip your checkbook out when you go and see the doctor children who grow up in this country would think it's absurd that some people have to wonder whether they can afford to get treatment. That um, in the States, for example, year after year in the Gallup polling, uh, the availability and affordability of healthcare is people's number one concern. They don't grow up in that environment and it's that's wonderful, but it does mean that most kids don't know that there is a much worse version of, of, delivering, of delivering healthcare, mm. which involves the poorest people going without a two-tier system and um, ultimately lives lost. So Mm. you've made me think that I need to go back through my second book and put in more about the NHS because yeah (laughs) you're right this is a this is a live edit it needs it they do need to know more about it. Well actually what you've made me think that actually you know know, sometimes we we do think about British readers because we're based here but of course children's books are international now and what your publisher wants to do like all publishers is sell them you know all over the world and have you seen that have Puffin been selling rights to different territories? Uh, I don't know the latest number but it was I think it was somewhere north of 25 translations last time they they checked in that's one of my favorite emails I get Mm. oh the last one that Kay's Anatomy was translated into was Welsh and uh, my Welsh agent has I think that's the most excited in our many 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 years of working together the most excited I've heard Catherine Summerhays <laughs> is breaking the news to me that the book's going to be translated into Welsh. That's brilliant well congratulations <laughs> uh, and of course you have signed a deal to do more books with Puffin this is quite sort of hot off the press news. They've just announced it. They didn't say in the press release what those books will be about. Do you have any idea about what you want to do after Kay's Marvellous Medicine? Yeah, I've got ideas, but I haven't really talked them through with Puffin yet. So I feel I should do that right. bit first in case they say, oh, don't do that. That's rubbish. <laughs> That's a good idea for sure. <laughs> right. Now we're nearly at the end of our podcast. Um, we just have a few questions that we like to ask all our guests. The first one of those is who in the children's book world do you really admire Adam and why and there are so many people it's such a kind and encouraging and generally nice part of publishing which in itself is already a pretty nice industry Mm. but um, someone who I find utterly inspiring is Liz Pichon who I first found out about through my uh, my young relatives who are (laughs) obsessed with her books and 
she is so prolific and she's so supportive of other people and just generally all round nice brilliant person so every time she appears on my twitter it's a little beam of light and joy and i think yeah i need to be be more liz be more liz i think that's it yeah that's a good lesson for everyone <laughs> what is the best thing about making and selling children's books in the uk what's the best thing it has to be the feedback i don't think i've had a nicer day on social media than world book day this year you know being tagged in literally hundreds of of posts of kids dressed up in you know in stuff inspired by my book and and also I've had a bunch of notes from parents saying that they have always struggled to get their their kid to read and this was the book that unlocked reading a bit for them and there is no greater compliment to a writer than that Mm. and also what more could you want going into writing kids books than to get a message like that and it's sort of Every time I hear something like that, it's uh, all the agony of going through the copy edit is suddenly worth it. Yes, I can imagine. And what are you looking forward to in the year ahead? What am I looking forward to in the year ahead in terms of publishing or in terms of life? Oh, both. Okay, in terms of life, I'm really looking forward to leaving the house. I'm looking forward to getting (laughs) back into bookshops, getting back into theatres, getting back into restaurants seeing my family mm. the same as the same as the entire world i'm just i'm i'm looking forward to uh, a bit of normality mm. and it's also a busy a busy year for me on the work side uh, Kay's Marvelous Medicine is coming out uh, in at the end of september Kay's Anatomy is having its paperback release plus i've got various things i am writing as well i'm back to writing for adults after a break which is brilliant because that is that is as much as i love writing for kids that is my first first love in publishing land and also at the moment in fact um on an ipad uh, that you can't see to your top right i can see um the live footage of them shooting the bbc and amc version of this is going to hurt so um i mean that's one of my career highlights that this is this is happening and and hopefully that will be on telly before too long is that due for release this year or do do we have to wait a little bit longer I don't know to be honest I mean I should Mm. I should know well I know I know they're currently shooting it and and we've got ages left of shooting so I don't really know how long the editing bit takes a couple of days who knows (laughs) half an hour easy peasy (laughs) well that's all we've got time for today thank you Adam for being on the show thanks so much for having me our listeners don't forget to follow rocket and the bookseller on social media at we are rocket hq and at the bookseller on twitter and instagram keep an eye out for adam's next book which is out as he says next september and don't forget to follow chapter and verse on your favorite podcast platform 